You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Steven, can I call you Lynn and Steven? That's our names. I was going to be like, how do I address uh, musical theater royalty? So uh, Lynn and Steven, uh, welcome to Token Theater Friends. And thank you for, for joining me. I'm so happy. It's like a Christmas gift to me that you're here uh, today. Um, but let's talk a little bit about about legacy and what was the idea behind uh, putting this album together and releasing it this year? Um, you know, we, we've all been in isolation, quarantine, lockdown, all of those words. And when you have time on your hands, that happens all of a sudden, uh, you know, and takes you out of the normal everyday work, work, uh, uh, process that you have. And for Stephen and me, we work constantly and we're always working on a new project or, you know, tweaking a project that's about to happen. And, you know, it never ends. And all of a sudden we found ourselves very separated. We were very far apart. We couldn't get together like we usually do. And um, it gave us time to think, which, uh, you know, and, and really contemplate the world, our circumstances, what we had uh, what, what we had put into the world to date. And it suddenly popped into my brain because my brain had time to, to be free, I think, that we had done these demos in 2004 of these two song cycles that um, we were quite beautiful and we were excited about them at the time. And for one reason and another, they never we never put them into the world. It never quite cohered or something. And I suddenly remembered those. And I, I said, Stephen, what about those two song cycles? This, you know, I'm sitting here and they were beautiful. They were meditative. Um, they were one of them is about New York City. And, you know, we, we love our city and, and felt, you know, it was a wonderful way to celebrate New York now. And the other one is is a year in the life of a farmer and his wife going through 
travails, just as we all are, going through joys, just as we all are. It was a diary of his life. And they suddenly seemed so topical that we dug out these demos. And lo and behold, you know, of course, we remembered who they were sung by, but it, they are so beautiful. And it, it, I think I'm speaking for myself, it completely surprised me at how beautiful they were and, and how just crystalline, you know, just beautifully recorded even those many years ago and beautifully acted and, and they just moved me so much. So um, that's, that was the genesis of it. And Stephen, you know, you can yeah. take it from there. We thought about Van and, you know. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's interesting because we had lived with them for like a period of two years, uh, but we hadn't really heard them in, in all this time. So it, it was interesting because the piece is really kind of about excavating you know, and like going into an attic or going into your boxes or going into your storage unit that you haven't been to, you know, in like, you know, more than a decade. And there were, it was really wonderful just uh, rediscovering uh, these pieces. And, and we were we were lucky that there's been, uh, you know, recently um, some tech, technological uh, advancements. So we were able to take these older recordings and sort of remix them, re-EQ uh, them, uh, make them a little like, glossier, a little more finished. Uh, but that said, there's something really beautiful about the recordings themselves because they were just done with uh, uh, singers, the human voice and piano, and none of them were manipulated in the studio. So in other words, there, this was like, you know, we weren't using like auto tune and we weren't using like, oh, let's take that, that line and punch it in here. You know, these are totally live performances. And um, the first one with the farmer and his wife, it's uh, Marin Maisie and Jason Danieli. Mm -hmm. And to hear them sing the roles uh, of a husband and a wife being husband and wife, uh, it, it was so moving to me. And I, it also really brought back the sessions uh, because these were very intimate sessions. It was a tiny little studio in the Flatiron District uh, where Lynn had done a lot of commercial work, you know, in the past. And so um, it was just an engineer, uh, Lynn in the control room, myself at the piano, and Marin and Jason uh, down the hallway, you know, in, in the little ISO booth. And there was something uh, beautiful about just hearing totally live music. You know, this is before, you know, samplers and all of that kind of stuff. And you could, you could actually hear tiny little, uh, like the creak of a pedal, you know, which I actually really like um, because it reminded me, oh, that's what a real piano sounds like. You know, it's not a perfect thing. And um, there, there was something just great about uh, excavating them. And then we had to sort of put together a timeline of what we did and when we did it and when these were written and, uh, it was it was really fun just reliving uh, that time and uh, all of our singers they remembered these songs you know and this was 16 years ago and all of them immediately said yes you know because they they remembered the songs they remembered the experience and uh, getting a chance to uh, polish it up a little bit and putting putting it into the world at this moment in time because they are all are really reflective songs and they're about you know journal entries or looking at a photograph or looking at a, a still moment in time and uh you know meditating on on what that is and so it's it seemed kind of perfect actually and, and also in the final year a final month of this year too i'm just going to add one thing quickly which is that the second song cycle is is uh was inspired by photographs that my dad took of new york in the 40s and 50s he was a photographer and um, they're sung by Sarah Uriart-Berry and Stephen Pasquale and just so 
amazingly beautiful to listen to the two voices melding and um and it just seemed like a, a you know another another gift that we could give at this time you know the the album is called legacy and um it's not just about what we leave behind but also what we unearth you know from the past mm -hmm. and uh so it, in a way it, it seemed apropos for now because we're there cleaning out the closets of know, our literally unearthing and literally you know the drawers and closets of our homes and you know we've had the time so i think that's that's why it felt right to us to do it now I have like a thousand follow-up questions just based on this one answer. And the first one is, you know, like you're saying that you have this song that you kind of forgot about. So as a fan, I'm thinking, wait a second, does this mean that there's some sort of like, you know, like Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of like warehouse <laughs> with music that you're like, oh, well, you know, like, oh, this is just one a song, day. we'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> like how, how many songs like that are there? Like how many... I don't know how many musicals do you have that are in storage? There are 10,000 of them. No, I'm only kidding. Well, on this recording, there are um, 19 songs and 18 of the 19 have never been recorded and have never been heard. And uh, just having Marin back, you know, is, is like, it's amazing. It's like she's with us again, you know, and I was, I, I was so moved by her performance on this. But in terms of trunk stuff, you know, we have things here and there, you know. Uh, and you may or may not know this, but each each opening that we have, I give Lynn, uh, we create a book for her. And it's basically the orphaned, yeah, it's the orphaned songs, you know, the songs that never made it to, you know, the Broadway stage for that night. And, you know, the, and I try to put them in little categories like songs. Uh, that never made it out of your living room, songs that never made it into past reading one, songs that never made it past the workshop. And there's something about putting all these little orphan songs in a volume together because you can sort of, you can really see the creative process of how this thought actually led to this thought and this led to the idea that wound up being the, the idea on the show. I was looking for the, the books on my bookshelf because I have, but I think they're up too high. I need a ladder, so I won't do that now. <laughs> Yeah, this, yeah, we don't want you falling down on camera. That would not be good. No. <laughs> but um, yeah, we, we, you know, we don't, I wouldn't say that we have any truly complete works in the trunk, but we have a whole lot of songs. And, you know, someday uh, maybe we'll go back to 54 Below or something and do a review of all of our cut songs. There, there are lots of fun ones although there's reasons they were cut, but, um, you know. What's also interesting, there are some projects that we had started and then we realized mm, this isn't something that we should, that we're interested in right now or whatever. So there are a couple of like demos from this project or this uh, film project that was almost happening, but then didn't, you know. So we there- did, We did make a little CD. We did make a little CD not too long ago, maybe a couple months ago, to benefit um, a theater in New York. They, they wanted something to auction. And so we gave them a little four song sampler. It was called Aaron's and Flaherty's Secret Stash. And they were four, <laughs> four demo recordings from projects that never happened, you know, mostly TV projects, basically. And um, uh, that was fun to hear those again, you know. So, yeah. so, yeah, there's some fun stuff. We'll come back on and talk to you about those things some other time. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Because, like, now I'm wondering is there a song that now, you know, every everyone knows and everyone loves the song that maybe people had to like fight you because you wanted to kick it out of the show and people are like, please leave it. 
Well, there, there's one song in particular that is done all over the place that we did cut. Um, and it's from Once on this Island. It's called Come Down from the Tree. And it's a beautiful song. It's been recorded by all kinds of people, male and female. It's been, um, you know, used in, in various cabaret performances and stuff. And, and it's just one of those songs that when people hear it, they just, it says something different to everybody. You yeah. know, it's, it's um, a lovely song. And I would say that that's probably the one that, you know, I would I, I actually came across a, a Mexican recording of Once on this Island, and it has the song back in the show. So there's always that thing. There's a reason why these are cut. And, and yet people, if they love the song, they try to, like, stick it back in, you know, so. Oh, dear. <laughs> that's a rare that's a rare recording that I have that. I wish you hadn't told me that, but oh, well. <laughs> okay. It's good. It just shouldn't be in the show. <laughs> so how do you decide then when a song works? Like, how you know how do those songs end in storage they, because oh. because the audience usually tells us that they're not working um you can just sense it you know the audience is the most they, they call the audience the last actor or the last you know element to come to the show last collaborator and and um you sit in the back row and you think oh oh they're gonna love this song so much and when that beautiful song comes up into the show all of a sudden people are looking at their watches, their programs are rustling. They're like, you know, what time is it? And, and you can tell that something is not working. And when, and it's one of the skills that you learn as you go, uh, you know, the more shows you actually get to do, the, the better you get at reading an audience's reaction and knowing yeah. what's not working. And sometimes it's a little section of a song like um, that's not working. And you have to fix that one little section. There was in, in Once on this Island, actually another song, um, the song Waiting for Life that gets done all the time. And, you know, young women love to sing that song. And there was something wrong with it. And we could tell from the audience. And I said, we have to cut the song. We, it's just not. It was out of the show for a while. It was yeah. out of the show. And it's yeah. like a great song in the show. But we discovered finally that what wasn't working was the bridge. And we rewrote just the little bridge and suddenly the song took off. So, you know, it's it's really about just craft, musical theater craft and knowing, you know, what what works and what doesn't and, and figuring it out. Well, even the opening number in that show, um, we dance. I remember Lynn said, do you want to take another stab at that? And like my entire score to that point had been based on that theme. I'm like, ah! You know, but there, there is something about it. And I thought, I, I thought, I, I see what you mean. You know, I said, I think the raw material is absolutely right. I think the prayers to the gods feel right. I think that theme is right. And what proved not to be right actually was the chorus. The chorus was too much living in the head. And these people are not, you know, people that sit around thinking profound thoughts. You know, it's, this, it's like a very visceral world. And I thought it had to have that kind of joy and also movement and grit. And I had to get out of my own head to be able to, to write that. But whenever, you know, I discovered, oh, this could be what the chorus is, it seemed absolutely right. And it worked like gangbusters from there on in. Yeah. So, and, and sometimes it's even if you have the song and it could be the most wonderful song, but if it's in the wrong place in your show, there's a beautiful song that we love from A Man of No Importance, which is uh, the show we did with Terrence McNally at Lincoln Center. And um, there was a song that we had in act one called The Cuddles Mary Gave. And it's about uh, an older character who has lost his wife, but he still, loves her and he uh, experiences that love on a daily basis. And it was sung in act one and it never worked and we cut it. And 
way later, like maybe a year later, uh, I can't remember who brought it up again, but we found that it wanted to live, but in the second act. And as a result of the song being sung, uh, our lead character hears that and realizes I've never experienced love in my life. I have to get out and I have to find what that is. And so it became this whole motivational thing for our lead character for the entire act. And what did not work in act one worked like gangbusters in act two. And we didn't change a word or a note of it. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it's kind of like you're saying like your songs take a lot on a life of their own. Like you have they no do. control over them <laughs> once they're out there. Don't. <laughs> we that's, don't. I, that's what I love about it. It's like, it's like, it, it sort of has its own energy field. I don't want to get too metaphysical on you, you know, this early in the day, but they do have this, energy about them and they do have their own lives and as you're writing them they actually tell you what they need to be you know after a while it it really feels like you're not you're just sort of hanging out with the song and you're not in the driver's seat and it's telling you what it needs to be what it needs to be and a weird way i think that's not to bring it back to legacy necessarily but you know those songs were just sitting there waiting for the time that they feel relevant and suddenly there we were unearthing our lives basically and we unearthed these two pieces that you know have to do with with what people leave and what people find and and you know wh- how we relate to the past and how we relate the past to where we are now and um yeah so it, it, but that we just left them in a drawer it never seemed to us that we, we knew what to do with them and suddenly oh this is what and luckily you know i just wanted to mention van dean and broadway records we uh, sent them over to him and said, is there anything to, in this? And it was so immediate. Their reaction was so lovely and immediate that, um, you know, we're, we're grateful to them for, and the album, I'll just talk about the album design. It's so beautiful. beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It's a work of art, you know, not that CDs are what people listen to anymore, but I've sent out about 10 of them already to friends and family because I'm so in love with the, with the design of the actual CD, which not only, um, is beautiful, but includes a lot of photographs that my dad took, which inspired these songs, and that's moving to me. And just um, you know that that putting together the the, the physical product is is was a, a great thing to to have happen during this time. I I love the fact that you say that songs you know are coming out when they're supposed to come out, like they're really like good. waiting, and they're like we're ready, like take us out. Yeah, because or we're was... not ready, you know, or they're like this. <laughs> Like, and then, which is frustrating, but you know, go with it. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, when I was, you know, when I was listening to it, and it's two parts, and like you said, you know, like one's a uh, farmer and his wife, and the other one's like New York City, which uh, in some ways has always been like the city of the future, even like centuries ago. Mm-hmm. So I was listening to to it, and I loved how, you know, I'm glad that we're over like the election season and all of that, but it was like a perfect album about unity and about like, hey, look, the former and New York City are not that different. Like they have the same feelings. They share a soul almost. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's a beautiful thing to say, actually. And, you know, I know and I have thought that there is something lovely about the contrast between the rural and the urban in this one, you know, set of song cycles. But that's a really nice way to put it. I think that we're all, you know, products of our environment but we're all in this world together and um you know yeah it's that's i just i like what you said i should be yeah yeah. 
<laughs> there's something great about the idea that uh, the interconnectedness of things. And I think in a very uh, close focus way, I think, um, I think it taps into that idea, you know, even though it's about this event that happened on a Wednesday in, a, in February, you know, there's, there's something very universal about uh, these events and how, you know, I, also there's something moving to me about the idea that uh, even in difficult times, people turn back to their work and their families and find a way to continue. You know, the, the idea of continuance, I think, is really a big theme in this. Yeah, I agree. And I want to talk about that because I don't know what, what do your parents do, Stephen? Well, my dad passed 15 years ago. Uh, it, it's an interesting thing. My father had one of the best set of ears of anybody I've met. He was never a professional musician, but he was a great amateur trumpet player. And he would play the blues in our attic after after we would have dinner. And they're so they're like sort of thinking back on it, it's kind of left a very mixed message to the family when he's singing or when he's playing. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen, you know, <laughs> but uh, he, he had a he was very eccentric. He was a lovely, gentle person. He taught me a lot about music, about how to listen to music. You know, we'd be listening to a piece and he would say, oh, listen to what the clarinet line is doing right there. You know, and I was able to understand the idea of like different ingredients, but you put them together and they have a different effect, you know, once they're in the same pot with one another. So he was also an artist. He was a painter, you know, so uh, none of this professional, but but amateur, you know, so there was always art. There was always music in my house. Um, my mother is a very artistic soul and uh, she's written poetry and now she's 90. She turned 90 this year. And uh, she decided at age 85 that she wanted to uh, study oil painting, even though it's, she had never done it in her life. And she says, I don't know if I'll be good at this, but I think I'd like to really try. And, and it turned out she was really good. You know, so that was like, whoa. And so I, I think the fact that they both uh, cherished and thought music was a thing of value, I think, I think that really helped me on. So as a kid, I was always studying, you know, music since I was seven, art since I was eight. Uh, I paint as well, you know, so like just being in an artistic environment and then later finding the theater when I was, when I was 12 and then wrote, wrote my first show at 14 and just kept going. And this is sort of the only thing I can do, you know, and the only thing that I've ever, ever wanted to do. So I'm glad it's, you know, it's turning out well, so. Well, so I'm glad that I know that that both your parents uh, painted because like Lynn, when I saw that uh, your dad was a photographer, I immediately thought, you know, you are also a photographer, like songs are snapshots. And immediately I started thinking about, you know, the music that you create together, like conjures memories for us also. So would you say that, you know, without me getting to like Freudian or anything, like the fact that your parents wanted to capture moments and wanted to capture memories. Is that maybe why you wanted to uh, create also like pictures and, and portraits and landscapes, I guess, of feelings through music? There's no doubt about it. Um, my, as, as you know, and as I've said, my, my father was a photographer. I Some of my earliest, I have a million baby pictures, a million pictures. And some of the earliest ones, taken some by him and some by other people are me looking at a camera, me, my father saying, Kate, don't put your finger on the lens. Uh, he was always pointing things, look at the light, look at this blade of grass, look at this. So I, I, I think he gave me 
a framing device in a way uh, to look at the world through and, you know, to to look at the details of people and to, to really pay attention to that sort of thing, which is so useful. It's songwriting and, and almost the whole, you know, just being interested in human nature, whether, you know, that's what a photographer does, that's what a writer does. And I think he gave me that that interest in human nature. And my mother, who, you know, uh, is a fantastic writer, has been published, but, you know, I would say that she spent her life bringing up children as most women of her generation did. She just turned 95 this year. She's still brilliant. She's still writing. She's still amazing. But what she did for me, in addition to giving me a love of words and reading, was she would read all of the uh, books, my books, out loud and act out all the parts and do all the voices. And she, it, it, so I think in, in somewhere in her is a performer that was never able to come out. And, and there's no performer in me, uh, that's for sure. <laughs> but as Stephen knows, I don't wanna do that. But I do hear the voices in my head and I can write them out and I can you know, put them in the bodies and hearts and voices of actors. And I think my mother gave me that side of things that, you know, that, that the ear to, to listen to words and to listen to the music in words. And um, so that I think both of my parents really contributed to making me who I am. I was, I was, you know, setting songs when I was teeny. I mean, I was like probably four or five and I was setting words to, you know, other people's music. So um, yeah, I think that our parents make us who we are on many levels. And then of course, there's always, you know, the surprise that you, of who you are when you pop out of the womb <laughs> and, you know, there's going to be stuff that they never expected, but I, I know I got that both of those qualities from my parents. It's like you're describing your songs also. so gorgeous and i was like struck by the fact that you know uh it's the ninth month of the year and we have been um in quarantine and living uh an pandemic for nine months also so looking back at this year what would you say uh is maybe like the most precious thing that you've learned about yourselves as artists and human beings uh given that we've spent so much time, you know, at home. Gosh, that's a, that's a, there's so many answers to that question, speaking for myself. Um, I've learned that I am never bored, uh, <laughs> that I cannot be bored. I, I will always find something to keep me from being bored. And that was a revelation because I really didn't realize that. I've always been working so much that when the work was removed, well, by golly, I found other things to do. I found that. I've, I finished a book. I put out a CD. Uh, I wrote some songs with Stephen Long Distance. I gardened. I cooked. I read a lot. I walked to books on tape and read all the Harry Potter books on tape. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can never be bored. That was really a big thing for me to learn because I, I have always been a little terrified about filling up my spare time with work. And so I don't feel the need to do that so much. And I also realized how much I love my husband. I mean, to be stuck in stuck in a house with him for all these months, you know, 
And I know then, it could go one way or the other. Well, you should tell them what, what, tell them say what today is, though. Oh, today is my anniversary. Yeah. And yes, there you and go. It's, a, it's not a it's not a huge. Well, it's a huge number, but it's not, you know, like one of those momentous numbers. But we've been married, legally married for 31 years today. And um, oh. so that's a long time. And then there was a lot of time before that, that we were together, but not married. I won't even tell you the number. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. So that's what I learned. Being cooped up with Neil Costa is not such a bad thing. You know, it's um, it, that was my two revelations, I think. Congratulations. I hope you have a lovely uh, celebration planned for the rest I'm, of the week. I'm going to cook. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I, I think for me, I, I had to learn to be still. You know, because we're always running around and doing things. And then all of a sudden, you know, just the idea of being still, you know, it's harder than you think, you know. And uh, I think the idea of meditating, just being there, taking the moment in, I, I think that was a big lesson for me. I, I'm also lucky that uh, my husband and I have been, you know, in quarantine together. And um, we've, we've, we, well, right now we're in Mexico. We have a place here, but then we spent a lot of uh, the summer uh, in the coast of Oregon, which was interesting. So we had little changes of locale, but it's been great having the, this little two-person adventure, you know, in, in the midst of all of this. And also I have to say on my um, listening lists, I, I've been listening to composers I've never had a, a chance to really listen to. I've been listening to other people's music, you know, which has been which has been fun for me, you know, so. That's really lovely. And with the idea of uh, legacy in mind, I invited the software of uh, musical history, uh, Juju Nieto at Carnegie Mellon, who submitted some questions and I was hoping we could go through them in a lightning round. Oh, hello, my name is Juju Nieto. I am a sophomore dramaturgy major at Carnegie Mellon University. And this semester, I was really, really lucky to have been able to take a class on musical theater history and repertoire. And through this class, and as a huge musical theater um, nerd, I was able to not only learn about the really important um, history of musical theater in America, but I also got to dive into the world of composers. So of course, um, you you both were covered in our class. My roommate actually was assigned to research y'all. So um, I have become very, very familiar with your work in the past semester. And I didn't realize how in my life your music has been. Um, I grew up on Schoolhouse Rock. I memorize the preamble song in eighth grade i can still sing it today um six years later um so it's really just a joy and a pleasure and a gift to be able to ask you some questions about your work um so i wanted to start with um, a question on collaboration especially artistic collaboration obviously y'all have been working together for a really long time so i wanted to know how have you made your artistic relationship last so long and what makes a really good fruitful artistic collaboration you have to have a sense of humor and you have to be willing to surrender your ego at the door. Check your ego at the door. Nobody is right and nobody is wrong. It's all about the show. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I also think that it's always about being curious. I think that you have to have natural curiosity. And also you have to know that um, in a team, uh, you're, everything changes from day to day. And so uh, an idea that might be right, like, five years down the road might not be right at the, at the moment. So a, a lot of it is intuitive. It's not like a big plan. There, it's not something you could put on a graph. You just have to be in the moment, be intuitive. 
And um, I also think the fact that whenever I met Lynn, I was writing words and uh, book and Lynn was writing music. So I think the fact that uh, we have knowledge of that is really helpful. So in a weird way, we're sort of like one another's editors, which I think is great. And we both wear red all the time. <laughs> no matter what color, actually, that's almost true because it never fails. Whenever I show up wearing navy blue, he's got navy blue. Whenever I have on turquoise, he has turquoise. It's uncanny. So here you go. This is an example. There you go. Yeah, I was going to ask if you had planned it because like no one told me. So I was going to no. go get something red. Um, I know you two have worked with some really cool people like Elton John and Cheetah Rivera. Um, so besides each other, like who have been some of your favorite collaborators? So that means living people. Living people or, I mean, you know, I don't really have any other collaborators other than Alan Menken, who I adore. He's a friend. We did one show together a long time ago, Christmas Carol. It ran for 10 years. So I got to work with him for 10 years in a row, uh, tweaking the show and coming back to put it up every year at Madison Square Garden. And he's a wonderful writer and a wonderful person. Um, but beyond that, you know, but Steven's my collaborator. I, I admire a million other people. Um, but just speaking from terms of a collaboration, yeah, that would be it. Girl, it's, uh, I did one show with Frank Galati that we did at the uh, Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago. And it was about the writing and philosophy and life of Gertrude Stein. And so everything was a word that Gertrude herself had either said that was either part of a letter, part of a poem, part of a speech, part of an address. And uh, Frank... Uh, his rules for this were that we could not approximate, that we couldn't lengthen or change or create a sentence that she had not said. So every single word and every single sentence in the entire 90 minute show had to be something that she had said. And I found working with Gertrude Stein, it was very challenging, you know, because I couldn't say like to Lynn, like, can I have an extra note there? Or can I cut <laughs> this and just like move down to the end of this because we're treading water here, you know? So it was interesting working with that kind of found text with a, a dead collaborator, you know, that was like challenging in a totally new way. And um, then in terms of other collaborators, they had done a, a dance piece at um, the Old Globe with Christopher Catelli, who directed and choreographed it. And to me, that was a personal challenge because it was about telling stories without relying on words. So these were 10 dance musicals written by the stories uh, were written by 10 different playwrights. And so they could come up with any time period, any uh, place, uh, any culture. And uh, it was almost like, what is behind door number three? And it was like a big challenge, you know, because like you'd open it up and uh, David Henry Huang did a piece uh, that was set in the Ming Dynasty and then uh, also contemporary Asia and it dealt with club music and Peking opera. And like I had no reference point to any of these things. So working with these different writers and with Chris and trying to find a way into this was was actually interesting. It was really challenging, but and a, a lot of fun. So that sounds it, like a lot of fun. <laughs> it was, it was, we, we would do like maybe two or three a year over the course of seven years or something, you know, and it was like very sort of on the side burner, but, but great fun. And, and more uh, answers. just a PS for your, for your questioner. Um, the, the wonderful thing is with Stephen and me, we've, we've worked together now for, is it 37 years, Stephen? I don't even know since 1983. Yeah. Well, we, we, we met like, 
within the first six months that I was in yeah. the city. And then we but began what I, working. But what I was going to say is that the, the, the cool thing is that, um, you know, if I have if I get an offer that I can't refuse, Stephen is fine with that and vice versa. You know, it's not like we're joined at the hip and get hurt if we go off to do a project with somebody else because our collaboration, you know, is so strong. Um, when I remember when I said, Stephen, I, I've gotten invited to do a Christmas carol and, you know, do you mind? It's going to take me away for, you know, six months or whatever it is. And he said, no, I'll learn finale. And he went off and he learned yeah. finale. It was great. So, you know, I, and I, it was a learning experience for me because, because he was, you know, totally generous and fine with that. And I felt the same way with these other two projects that he did. So anyway, that's hopefully that's an answer. Yeah. And it's also good to have other experiences and things to bring to the table. Otherwise, it's like, oh, you again, you know, as opposed to, oh, I did this interesting thing. And here's what I discovered. And here's a new thing that I can bring to uh, to the table. I think that that's really yeah. healthy. Yeah, definitely. And we're working with Susan Stroman now, who did Christmas Carol with me. That's where I met Susan Stroman. So, you know, I, I now she's working with Stephen and me. And um, that was a big it was wonderful, you know, to, to know that that could happen. That's really lovely. Like when I heard you say offer, I can't refuse. And I'm thinking about like the two of you doing the Godfather musical. Oh, it's like, great. Godfather musical. I'm it's sure great. somebody's writing it right now. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, they're putting the cotton in their cheeks right now. <laughs> For Lynn, this is a question um, that I really wanted to know about as a woman in a male dominated field um, has been a woman in uh, this world of musical theater had an impact on you and has it changed the way that you've navigated these spaces um and any advice for young women kind of moving through this world either as composers or as theater makers uh you know i have never for a moment um worried about the fact that I was the only woman in the room. In fact, I, I have a, a, a little picture, a little cartoon on my wall in my office in there, uh, which is Dorothy uh, Fields peeking out of the men's room at the Algonquin. And, you know, I just, my advice would be just perfect your craft, work as hard as you can, work, take whatever opportunity you're given and never ever feel discriminated against, even if you are, because, you know, your the goal is to just keep moving forward and growing as a person and growing as a creator. Um, and if you do that and you don't uh, become bitter and you don't become uh, judgmental, uh, good things will happen. That's all I can say. It happened for me. I think it would happen for anyone if you're talented and if you're determined and if you're open hearted and open minded, good things will happen. Another question that <laughs> I'm asking on behalf of my musical theater history class, specifically my professor, um, whose like favorite musical is Anastasia, she did tell me. Um, <laughs> why was In the Dark of Night not included in the musical? Um, just, I, just, I just have to know. Yeah. You know, we, 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 like from day one of working on the adaptation for, for the stage version of Anastasia, I think we all felt that we wanted to go much more close <laughs> back to what really happened in Russian history than we were allowed to in that film. And uh, once we did that, we knew that the Rasputin character in that whole storyline is probably not going to be there. Uh, but yet I liked, the, I really liked parts of that theme. And uh, it took us maybe four tries to get the, that particular song in the movie. And that part uh, of the song, the, the main theme, 
um, I would always try to re reinsert that <laughs> in whatever it was that I was working on because it just felt so Russian and dramatic and, you know, and uh, theatrical. So uh, in working on, on the adaptation, uh, I took part of that theme, the part that I liked, and it's uh, part of a new song. Right. And, you know, I'll just add for the class that um, when we first started working on the show, we knew Terrence McNally was going to be the right collaborator for us because, you know, A, he's a friend, B, he's a brilliant writer, C, he's he's done things that he loves history. And um, we knew that we would be working with him. And Terrence really felt very strongly that he wanted to rethink and recreate the story. Yeah. He didn't want to do an animated movie and then stick it on the stage and have it just be, you know, that kind of an adaptation. So in thinking about it, we decided, made a conscious choice to eliminate the cartoon characters. And that was Rasputin, who was dead in the movie, but, you know, kind of alive still. And, <laughs> and his sidekick, Bartok the talking bat, you know, the albino bat. So they both bit the dust for the stage. And we created some new characters who were more realistic, like the character of Gleb, who's a, a former revolutionary and now in the hierarchy of the government. And, um, you know, that was a choice that the writers made. So that's why In the Dark of the Night, with all those evil little underground minions and Bartok, and that's why it's gone, because you could only do that in a cartoon. And you couldn't really, you could do it on stage, but we didn't want to. We really wanted <laughs> something that was more, a little more mature and a little more realistic and emotional. And um, yeah, that was a that was an authorial choice. <laughs> it was a fun, it was fun song to work on though in the studio. It was fun. It was a lot. Saying, it should be like Jim Steinman, like that out of hell. <laughs> and one of these days, I think I said, well, why don't you get Jim Steinman then? And, and Jim <laughs> produced that track. So yeah. we had a lot of our theater singers like Lilius White and Greg Edelman and people like that. And he brought in all of his that out of hell rock and roll singers. And uh, it was a collaboration on the vocal arrangement. You know, I did my parts and then he did his parts. And it was it was really fun because it was a very, very different way of working and um, they they actually said they wanted something like that out of hell but also yeah. something like just let a woman in your life yes my fair life and we were like you want that and that together oh, and rocky horror and oh, rocky horror it was, it was like just impossible assignment but we managed to pull it off and jim steinman was great he's a lovely guy but he never shows up before one in the morning so it was a lot of waiting for jim steinman to show up he just comes to life in the middle of the night in the dark of the night yeah we were talking about oh so why don't we mix it at three and we assumed that meant 3 p.m it was 3 a.m and we're like where is he yeah so anyway that's amazing what does the future of musical theater look like to you both? And what do you think the future will look like post coronavirus, post we see white American theater and post Black Lives Matter movement? No, we're waiting to find that out ourselves. Nobody really knows. Um, I think it'll be a combo platter of live and digital. Uh, maybe things will be recorded, videoed on stage and then streamed. I think it's going to be a big old combination. And I don't think anybody knows not even the producers who produce Broadway, they're all waiting to find out, you know, and, and making plans that may or may not come to pass because it's it's such an unpredictable time. So if we knew, we'd be writing it, but we don't. I think I, I think that's a hard one. I think unless you have a crystal crystal ball that's very reliable. I think we just have to be aware and and emerge and 
and see how the new world feels and, you know. A crystal ball. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> this happens to have the little yeah. dancer inside, <laughs> which is our show that we're waiting for. So, yeah, soon. Yeah, so well, it'll, that's it'll the future. That's the future, yes. Silent, I watch the clouds. Silent, I touch the water. Silent, I lean to people. The song was really, really, it's really, really gorgeous. And obviously, uh, listening to Marion's voice and given the context of 2020 and all of that, it made me think a lot about how back in March, and up until now, like, I mean, first of all, I'm like so impressed by the resilience of human beings um, that we're still around. But also like the song made me really think about the fact that at least I had to give myself permission to find beauty again. And I wonder if, you know, that was a similar case for, for the two of you. Like, did you have to be okay with finding something beautiful like, like your song says? You know, I, well, I think I think that that's what we're here for, don't you? Mm. Well, during this pandemic, during at the beginning, I'll just say this: I I I really wanted to write something, and I don't take this the wrong way at all. But I said to Stephen, "Let's just write something. Just send me some tunes. Send me some tunes." And he said, "You know, I don't have any music in me right now," and that was the first time he's ever said that anything remotely like that in all these years. And I, you know, I. So I just said, okay, I understand that. And I didn't feel the same way, but I just thought, you know, I'll do, I'll do something else. I can wait. I don't need to be writing songs every day. I don't need to be working on a new project. And so that's when I went and I finished a long overdue manuscript of a book and I did a lot of other things. And I realized that I had other things in me. And, and, um, but I do think that, I, I don't want to speak for Steven, but from what I could gather, it was a tough time for him to find that beauty yeah. for a while. I, 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 th I personally think that creating anything, you know, but music especially comes from a place of joy. It comes from a place where, you, where you're filled up with something, you know, big emotions. And with, at, towards the beginning of this, especially, I just felt flattened. I mean, to be quite honest, you know, and I thought, sure, I could just be chip, chip, chipping away. Like, but I, I really felt that I, needed to take care of myself first you know otherwise there ain't going to be no more music coming out you know so i thought i thought it's okay not to have to be prolific it's okay to feel whatever it is you're feeling because this is such an extraordinary year and it, it's not been like any year that i had experienced you know any of us have you know so i had to i had to allow that for myself so i needless to say i am so looking forward to 2021 and to emerging and seeing music and you know and i miss my music making friends i miss being in a room with them you know and i miss you know just the idea of the community and hanging out and creating things together you know it's, so i look forward to more of that you know i'm excited about that so while that happens and while you know we go back to being uh, together in community at the theater how yeah. are you uh receiving the um 
I guess, the feedback and the applause and the love from, from audiences and from your fans. How are we receiving it? Yeah, like, have you found, you know, this, like, the Zoom, like, little, like, emoji? Uh, you know, it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same as a good hug. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, people write nice things. You know, they've we've gotten a lot of great feedback on Legacy and, um, you know, from the people who've heard it. And it's not the same. It's just not the same. There's nothing like being with people. There's nothing like a real audience, uh, you know, so... Yeah, it's it's a diff it, that part of it is difficult. The the non living quality of the work now and of feedback and all that, uh, it's it feels unnatural. And as fun as this is, like this kind of format with an interview works great. You know, some things work great, but do I love watching theater on computer? No, I want to see in the theater. I want to see real people. I don't want to see. I don't want to sit there glued to a screen. There's a lot that doesn't work for me. But you know, what choice do you have? You you. You know, you got to do what you got to do. But um, yeah, there's there's no comparison to real life. I mean, it's interesting because I think that that's the thing that drew us, you know, me certainly to, to theater to begin with, was I love the idea that you could be creating something in real time with real people in front of a live audience. And it seemed like it was like you were a magician. You're making magic. And it's like, I remember being a little kid seeing the first, the, the, the first live show I ever saw was a passion play, you know, the story of Jesus. And all of a sudden there was a scene, I don't know what the scene was doing in this show, but all of a sudden there was water coming out of a rock. And, and it was like a miracle. And it, and it was really done with some sort of a white sand with a special light. And, and I just remember thinking, how is that possible? I, you know, it's not a movie, it's not TV. It's like, I am there and this thing is happening in front of me. And, it, and I'm so amazed by it. And there was something very powerful in that and i i think creating something in real time and you and also the, the the fact that it is ephemeral you know you have to be there that one moment in time that one night uh, and then the performance is gone and i actually think that that's one of the beautiful things it's 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 not like a final cut it's it's about sharing and about sharing the experience with a group of people and that's that's been rough not having that this year I, you know, one of my Christmas traditions is that uh, I do my Christmas tree uh, now that I live on my own, you know, now that I'm an adult and I don't get to do my Christmas tree with my parents. I uh, decorate my Christmas tree with uh, Once Upon a December on repeat for as yeah. long as it takes me to put the whole thing together. <laughs> and, and, and I wonder, you know, what does it feel like for, for the two of you as, again, it's like creators to realize that you know like your work and your music becomes part of people's traditions oh it's so moving it's it's just wonderful i mean you know we've heard from people who've given birth to songs from you know to mama will provide and you know and stuff like that and weddings you know the human heart is played at weddings all the time and make them hear you is out in the zeitgeist right now with with you know all sorts of protests and demonstrations and um, you know, marches, um, uh, you know, it's it's humbling really to, to realize that your songs, they do take on a life of their own. They go marching off into the world and, you know, sometimes you hear from them and, you know, it's, it's always a wonderful surprise to realize that people are relating to these and, you know, to get a note from somebody that said they played 
you know, human heart at, at my mother's funeral. And it was just so perfect and beautiful. And then, it's you know, they played, we, we sang, marched down the aisle to human heart and, you know, love and death and, and um, all of the, the emotions of life uh, to, to have them, uh, to have our songs be part of that is very moving, very humbling experience. And, you know, we're, uh, I feel really lucky about yeah. it, I must say. Susical, you know, means so much to adults. I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, they love it. And they, 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 there are songs in it that they love. And, you know, the, in Man of No Importance, the song Love Who You Love, which has become um, really a statement for all kinds of marriage equality, you know. Um, it just makes you proud. I mean, it's great. It's great. And um, yeah, that's that's how I feel. Yeah, I, I think the surprising thing is, you know, we're, with us being musical dramatists, we're always writing for a particular character in a particular story at a particular moment in their lives. And as we're writing these songs, we never think of that, that it could have a larger life or it could transcend that particular uh, story. So whenever it does, I'm profoundly moved, you know, and it, and it's a surprise to me because I'm always thinking about, oh, but that's about Timon. But in fact, it's about everybody, you know, but it's focused in on that character in that story. So I, 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 find, I find it very, very moving. It's wonderful. There was one other example, which is that um, Kevin Chamberlain, who starred in Susicle on Broadway, told me that um, there is a, a version of Drag Queen Bingo. And when they hit a particular number, uh, they all sing, you can oh, never go back to B4. And <laughs> I mean, ha that's so great, you know. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, once you get that plateau. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Um, I was going to say, it's, it would probably be very uh, counterproductive or like it would lead people to be paralyzed if we were consciously and constantly thinking about legacy while we're doing our work, right? Like we wouldn't be able to do anything. But considering that you're, you know, living legends by now, I would say, uh, how has your idea of legacy uh, changed from like, did you ever think about legacy like uh, 37 years ago when you started working together? And now looking back, it's like, it's like, I don't know, it's like I incredible. I don't think of it as a legacy. I think of it as a body of work. Yes, I was going to say the same thing. It keeps getting more and more satisfying to me and to us, you know, because you can say, oh, we did that. And look how we did that. There, when, when we first met, there was a we were in the BMI Musical Theater Workshop, and there was a fellow in the workshop who was very concerned about his legacy and about what songs and what works he would leave for future generations and to be honest i don't care because i'll be dead and if they want to discover my songs good for them i'm very happy about it i could care less but what i care about is my body of work while i'm alive and while i can enjoy it and i can enjoy its results in and seeing it on stages and hearing people respond to it and um you know having it move them and stuff like that so legacy no i don't think about it but yeah i guess some people do <laughs> I, I remember our very first agent lynn and i when we were just starting out yeah. uh he said to me he said it's all about the body of work and i said what do you mean he said some shows will do well some shows will not do well some shows will be lucky, some will be difficult, some will drive you crazy, you know? He says, it doesn't matter. It's not about any one song or any one show. It's about when you step back and just look at, this is, this is the body of work. And I think 
I think that I think that's all it's ever about. You know, it's that that's something that I find in the Farmer's Diary um, song cycle. It's it's about finding a way to continue to work and to keep your heart open. And you know, it's it's never about any one award or any one review or any one thing. It's it's all about the big picture. Our old agent who gave us that advice. Um, uh, was giving it in response to a bad review for our yeah. first show. We were upset about it. And he was trying to explain that it's just one tiny little part of the whole picture. And, you know, in the farmer's diary at the end of it, they've uh, one of the, one of the months they, she's pregnant. There's this joyous pregnancy and she actually lost the child in real life. And, and he writes about that. And the last line of that, uh, the last lyric of that song cycle is uh, they're, they're mourning the death of their baby. But then they come around to singing something that has been sung earlier, which is, when I am stronger, I will help clear fields, meaning taking the stones out of the field and putting it to the side. And, and they, I think, you know, that's, that's it. It's like you get over your tragedies and you go on and you keep clearing the fields ahead of you. And that's what that's about. Um, and I think that that's true for all of us. I, at one point, uh, you know, we've taught over the years, we started the fellows program at the Dramatist Guild for young emerging writers. And you're always having to kind of give them hugs nowadays, virtual hugs when things don't go well for them. And one of our um, former fellows had a sort of notorious Broadway flop show that opened and closed in a day or two. And, um, and I wrote him a, a poem called the body of work in which I tried in a funny way to tell him, you know, when all of these people are dead and gone, you know, you will have the body of work to, to fall back on. And at somewhere I have that. Problem. Um, and after Susicle, which was a, you know, flop on Broadway, we were invited to um, speak before a, 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 a gathering of critics and I said, we had to have lunch with them. And I said, we have to yes. go eat, eat with critics? Like, oh, no. And this is right after. And, and not only did we have to eat, but we had to kind of sing for our supper because they were going to, they made each get up on a stage and answer one question. And our question was, how would you make Broadway better today? And I wrote a poem that had to do with the body of work and, and people being kind. And, you know, and I read this poem to the assembled bunch. And I, I think that, you know, you just get over these bumps in your road as, as best you can. My way is to write doggerel verse that, you know, is funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just get it out. And, you know, so, you know, the, it, it is, it is um, yeah, we all are clearing our fields in, in the only way we know how. We just keep working. That's right. Amen. And I don't want to put pressure on you, but uh, if you have any that you're comfortable sharing, what's your like, I don't know, like major resolution for 2021? Oh, I don't have one. Major, I, I don't know that I've made my resolution. No. Uh, it's going to happen right at this, just stroke before midnight. I will be making some sort of resolution. It will not have to do with diet or weight anymore. It will not have to do with exercise anymore. I have surrendered. I just don't make those resolutions because they just get broken. But I'll think of something. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's it's really about looking forward. I think it's been really hard this year for people to look forward with everything happening and then going into that, you know, marathon of of an election season and then beyond that and 
I, I think people are ready to to look forward. And I, and I also think with everything that's shifted this year, I think that there's a, more of a sense of understanding one another. And I'd like to think there's going to be greater support for artists of all kinds. And, and I just think I'm feeling positive about it. I, me, my personal resolution, I haven't thought about that yet, but I'm sure I will. will. <laughs> like, Lynn, like Lynn says, probably in the last moments. You know? Yeah, 1159. I know what I'm going to be saying. No more Oreos. That will be it. <laughs> I learned the Spanish language. I'm trying and it hasn't, I haven't gotten it under my belt yet, but that would be one of them, I know. Yeah. Right. I think like, you know, like the uh, farmer's diary, we're ready to turn a page in 2020 and That's we'll see what, what happens next year. So uh, where can people find Legacy? And do you have any other projects that you would like to uh, talk about? And let us know where we can... Go get them. Just in terms of the other projects, just to say very quickly, we had um, we had a beautiful show at the uh, Oslo Rep about to go onto the stage. We had had three weeks of rehearsals and kaboom, the pandemic hit and we all had to disperse. So that is called Knoxville and it will be at the Oslo Rep next season. We don't exactly know the dates, but it's going to come back with a beautiful cast of actors and we're very excited about it because it's based on a famous, famous novel called A Death in the Family by James Ag, which won the Pulitzer. Um, and it's a very, very emotional, beautiful uh, show that we're excited about. And our other show, which we are waiting to hear, you know, what its fate is going to be, but it premiered at the Kennedy Center, uh, had a, a big hit at the uh, Seattle Fifth Avenue Theater, sold out in both places. And, you know, just a gorgeous show directed and choreographed by Susan Stroman and it's called Marie. So please keep your eyes out for Marie and wish us luck with that. The show's ready to go. And um, yeah, we're all excited. So those are our two new upcoming projects. And then something totally unknown that we don't even know yet is going to yeah. bubble up soon. And I just wanted to, to add that um, Knoxville is uh, adapted and directed by our ragtime director, Frank Galati. Right. So it, it, it was a true joy to be back in a rehearsal room, if only for three weeks, with, with, with Frank Galati. And, and I know we're all really excited about the, about the mm -hmm. show. Um, we also have a song in a new documentary called Nazarene, which is, uh, I think, it's, what do they call it, like virtual theater? I don't know what they call these things. It's, a, it's, it's on streaming platforms and it's gonna go uh, uh, larger on Amazon, et cetera, in, in January. And uh, it's a beautiful song. It was actually my favorite thing of the year that we created. And it's sung by uh, the singer Angelique Kijo, who uh, won the Grammy this year for best world album. And uh, she's fierce. It's like, I feel like she, she's like the modern day Nina Simone in so many ways. And uh, the song is about, about human rights and uh, it's exciting to be part of that project. Mm -hmm. And so then- tell, uh, so tell people where they can get Legacy. Yeah, Legacy, uh, right now, uh, you can get Legacy via Broadway Records on their website, uh, on amazon.com. Uh, I believe it's streaming on Apple Music uh, or you can you know, do a music download via, via Broadway Records. It's also on Spotify right now if you want to give it a listen and uh it's just wonderful to have these songs that we love out in the world finally after all of this time with yeah. performers that we love working with and get the cd if you have a cd player because it's, it's, it's so really beautiful gorgeous. i love it yeah. yeah the pictures are really gorgeous and uh i was gonna say Stephen, if you want to learn spanish angelique's uh celia album 
Just sing go. along to it. Oh, so right. beautiful. Cecilia, isn't it wonderful? It's so gorgeous. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. really, really beautiful. So, you know, like she just sing along and dance and there's your Spanish and you're dancing your, your, your cardio for, for today. It is. It's such a feel good album. And uh, I, I just think it's, it was one of the most beautiful records of the past year. Really gorgeous. Well, congratulations and thank you for uh, being here. Happy New Year and happy, happy holidays. Thank you for joining me and I hope to see you again very soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.